Today we're going to take a look at five case studies of evangelism during the coronavirus event. A little bit different sermon. Uh, there are so many things that are demanding our attention right now. We're seeing the resurgence of the coronavirus. We're um, having to adjust to different workplace and childcare situations. We are um, having to adjust to different social distancing rules. Um, we are uh, seeing volatility in the stock market and wondering who is going to lead our country come November, the November elections. There are so many things that are uh, demanding our attention right now. And for the past four months, our church has been in a series called The Church as Diaspora, where we've been focusing our attention on the teachings of the Apostle James and the Apostle Peter, who wrote to the first century diaspora church that was scattered throughout the Roman Empire. James wrote in James 1 that he wrote to the 12 tribes of the diaspora. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1 that he wrote to the uh, exiles, the elect exiles who were in diaspora. And James and Peter did not primarily want the church to focus on um, changing the social status of Rome or the economics of Rome or the politics of Rome or even the healthcare system of Rome that would have uh, endured bouts of malaria and typhoid fever and all kinds of disease. They instead focused the church in diaspora on spiritual issues. And that's what we've been looking at in the past four months in our church is we've been focusing on their teachings on uh, personal holiness, on uh, persevering during times of suffering, on seeking the Lord's will out as we make plans for the future and we look forward to the return of Christ, on looking at biblical um, perspectives on race and uh, our perspective on the poor. And today we're going to look at the topic of evangelism, that both James and Peter, and as well as Jude, who wrote a few years after uh, Peter wrote Second Peter, but many of the same themes in Second Peter in, in the uh, epistle of Jude. And we're going to look at how they focused on evangelism and why did they uh, raise that as an issue that comes up as in diaspora? And I think there's at least three reasons. Number one is uh, when we go through times of uncertainty and shifts in our culture, and there's kind of this reset moment where things are disrupted and dispersed, uh, unbelievers, many unbelievers are open to the gospel who had hardened hearts before. Uh, we start thinking about how our lives are uncertain, what the future will look like, what issues of life and death uh, are going to be about, where I'm, are we going to be headed when we die, and those kinds of things people naturally think about during times of great uncertainty. And I think uh, that's what we're facing right now. We're seeing unbelievers that are open to the gospel in ways that maybe they weren't before the coronavirus event. And that happens in diaspora. A second reason why evangelism is important during this time is um, the church has opportunities to share the gospel in evangelism. And those opportunities, they start with our family, they move out to our friends, our community, and then to the ends of the earth, even in our workplace as well. And uh, when we share our faith, sometimes that is through relationships that we have, sometimes they're just through spontaneous encounters. But the church has opportunities to share faith in ways that she didn't before. And thirdly, uh, so many of us during this time, we're, we're just wanting to survive. And then after that, we want our lives to return back to normal, how it was before the coronavirus. And we need to be, to be reminded, church, that uh, God wants something more than just survival or returning back to what's normal. God wants us to continue on with the mission of the church, which is to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to declare his gospel for his glory, um, to baptize uh, people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all the things that Jesus 
has commanded them, and as he is with us to the end of the age, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, the church needs to move forward in her mission. And this is a a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity as God has either caused or allowed this coronavirus event to happen that has kind of reset our entire culture and given the church a unique opportunity uh, to advance the kingdom of God through evangelism. And I think that's what happens when things get reset. There's new opportunities. Uh, Several months ago, I posted on Facebook, my Facebook, uh, just a thought that came to mind. I felt maybe the Holy Spirit led me to it. And I just wrote one sentence on my Facebook. I said, uh, every pastor in America is now a church planter. Every pastor in America is now a church planter. Before the coronavirus, we'd often look at pastors in very segmented ways. You're a pastor of youth, a pastor of families. You're a pastor of small groups. Um, you're uh, a pastor of administration. And, you know, there's all different members of the body of Christ. Those things are important. But now with this reset in the coronavirus, um, I think there's a tremendous opportunity for the church to move forward, for pastors to be, see themselves and say, you know, the church in so many ways has got to be uh, retooled. And there's this wide open horizon for us to reach people in a new and fresh ways that maybe some of the old programs and the ways we did church would have held us back. And so that's what church planters do. They go into environments that, where the gospel is not proclaimed and they start churches and they kind of start with a blank slate. And I think every pastor in some way or another needs to see themselves as a church planter. And that happens when things get reset. Uh, I'm reminded of how when things get reset, God can uh, change a paradigm of how people are reached. Uh, Last year, myself, my wife Lorraine, my mother-in-law, and dozens of others from Talbot Seminary and uh, Biola, we went on a 19-day tour of Greece and Turkey uh, following the ministry of the Apostle Paul as he planted churches in places like uh, Philippi and Berea and Thessalonica and Corinth. And one of the places we went to was uh, Athens, Greece. And the president of Biola had a pastor friend in Athens, Greece, and so we went to uh, the service. We went to a prayer uh, meeting. I was asked to pray for the pastor. His name was Pastor Nico of that church in Athens. And so I just prayed that the Lord open up doors for his ministry. And what Pastor Nico shared... uh, is a few things that I thought were really interesting. He said, Greece is a country of under just under 11 million people. And of those 11 million people, they estimate that only about 25,000 to 30,000 people are evangelical Christians. Most are, uh, uh, associate with the Eastern Orthodox faith, whether it's more cultural maybe than in practice. And so he said that when uh, the refugees fled Syria several, starting several years ago from the corrupt Syrian regime, and they started fleeing as refugees, going through their own diaspora throughout Europe, many of those Syrian refugees came to Greece. And he said that many refugees have actually come to his church. They've been led to Christ. And this was his insight. He said, before the Syrian um, diaspora, uh, many Western missionaries would look and say, we've got to send missionaries into Syria in order to reach them. But in the Syrian diaspora, as Syrians have left their country, and many of them have come to Europe or have uh, found the Lord through uh, his church. He said, maybe what the Lord is doing is sending those Syrians back, Syrian refugees as Christians now, back into their country or to communicate with their loved ones or friends that are back in Syria to share the gospel. And God changed the entire paradigm of what missions looks like to let the, um, the refugees come to the church 
the church leads them to Christ, equips them, and then sends them back instead of just sending missionaries into Syria. And that kind of thing happens in diaspora where God just changes things and things start anew. And I think it's a tremendous opportunity for the church to be involved in evangelism during this time. You may be suffering. You may be um, struggling in your faith and your relationships. And we have been looking at many of those topics in the past four months. But I think it's very important for us as a church, amidst all of our struggles during the coronavirus event, is to continually move forward and to continually ask, how can we be part of being used by God to advance the kingdom of God by making disciples of Jesus Christ? And this happens in diaspora. Uh, we have been looking at the Apostle James, the Apostle Peter, uh, primarily. And I wanna read to you some scriptures um, from James, from Peter, as well as Jude who uh, wrote a few years after Peter, uh, many of the same themes, again, that Peter talked about in 2 Peter. Uh, but they all talk about the importance of evangelism and outreach. And so let's look at some of these scriptures from James chapter 5, verse 19 through 20. The Apostle James said this, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Jude, in Jude uh, verse 22 and 23, said, And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And I love this because all of these apostles are reminding us of the importance of outreach, of evangelism, of making disciples of Christ. The Apostle James reminds us, he says that there are sinners who are wandering amidst the uh, Christians. And he had really in mind that there were people that were in some way associated with the church, but they weren't really believers. They were kind of wandering in their faith, maybe going to church, kind of in and out, but they weren't believers. And James says of these people that whoever brings the, a sinner back from his wandering and truly comes to belief, that believer will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. James is reminding the church to say what is happening is when people come to faith, they are crossing from death in this world, death in eternity, to life in this world, and life in eternity through Christ. And that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, his conquering of sin and death on the cross, and his resurrection to new life, that um, anyone who comes to faith in him there, a multitude of their sins will be covered, will be forgiven. They'll be cleansed of past, present, and future. And that's the good news. That's the good news of the gospel. And James reminds us of, of that as we reach out to unbelievers. Peter, in this passage, he reminds us that God is patient. He's long-suffering. God does not want any one of those that he has elected, predestined, and chosen, and drawn to himself to perish uh, the prophet Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 18, God spoke through Ezekiel. And God says through Ezekiel, many centuries before this, he said, uh, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I, God, desire that they would turn and live. And that's the same thing Peter is saying here, that God is long-suffering, he's patient during this time, because he wants all those that he's drawing to himself to come to life, to come to repentance. And Jude, from our passage, again, reminding us, that when the church reaches out to unbelievers and they return in faith and they turn in faith in repentance, 
What is happening, Jude says, is that the church is saving others by snatching them out of the fire. And that's the fire of eternal damnation. It's this idea that there are firebrands in the fire and you're taking them out uh, to find life in Jesus Christ. And that's just a striking, striking uh, picture of what we are doing as the church. And again, Peter, Jude, remind us that there are many false teachers out there in the world. Uh, be very careful when you're evangelizing false teachers. They can be uh, very dangerous, staining you in your flesh um, by their false teachings. And But we are to save those uh, through Christ who are part of their teaching. And so James, Peter, and Jude remind us of the importance of reaching out to others in evangelism. And I think this is a unique, important time. The church has to seize this moment and to see others come to faith as, and to be faithful with that gospel proclamation. And so what I want to do right now is, you know, we could spend so much time on these great passages, but I just want to give a quick overview of the importance of evangelism. And I want to look at five case studies right now of evangelism during the coronavirus. These are all uh, stories that have happened um, in conversations or actions or people coming to faith through the people of our church in the past, um, you know, I guess four or five months or how we've encouraged them in their faith, uh, newfound faith in the past few months. So I'm going to take a look at uh, five case studies. We're going to make just a few comments on what we learned from them. And I hope this will be an encouragement to you as you share your faith. Case study number one. This is a reminder of the importance of sharing the gospel when you have an opportunity, uh, the importance of the Christian's testimony before an unbelieving world, and how God can often use unexpected ways, even unbelievers, to help other unbelievers to come to faith. I had mentioned before that in a, a, a week or so ago, that a childhood friend of mine that I haven't seen in about 30 years, but he knows I'm a pastor through Facebook, uh, he called me a few weeks ago and he said, uh, my dad is dying, he's in hospice, would you do the funeral? And he's an old childhood friend, so I said, absolutely. And my friend said, he's not a believer, his dad is not a believer. Um, and so when I heard that, I said, hey, can I talk to him through the phone? Maybe I can pray for him, share some scriptures and uh, and I was thinking I would share the gospel with him. And my friend said, well, he's kind of tired right now. And I was thinking maybe I should just kind of insist just for a few moments. But I said, okay, well, I'll talk to him tomorrow morning. Why don't we talk tomorrow morning? And my friend said, yes. Well, I woke up the next morning at 6 a.m. I saw a text from my friend, and he said his father passed away that very night. And when I heard that, uh, my heart just sunk. Because I felt like, why didn't I share? You know, even if he couldn't really understand that, well, maybe at some level we can't even understand, he could have responded but then I thought about my friend's dad as well, that um, he's facing the Lord in judgment right now. And um, so I, I resolved in that, in that moment that I was going to share the gospel at the funeral. And the funeral, uh, I just did it last week. Uh, we only had 30 minutes for the entire funeral, so I only had about five minutes to share within that for the message. But um, as I was listening to the family talk about their father and their husband who passed away, uh, three words came to mind. One was that he was very loving. Uh, he was married to the same woman for 50 years. Uh, my friend's father and my father were good friends. They shared a lot of things in common, uh, fishing, golf, playing cards. Uh, they were both engineers at one point, but, um, and they were both married to the same woman for over 50 years. Uh, he was very much loved his family. He had three, has, uh, had three beautiful children who were still alive, grandchildren, well-loved. I heard many people give testimonies about how much they're going to miss him. So love was a word that I think encompasses life. A second word I shared at the funeral was uh, he was very giving. He sacrificed for his family. He was part of the Marine Corps 
uh, for several years. And it was a, an amazing thing. We had a military honors at the funeral where two Marines came, uh, they played taps, they presented the flag to the widow, um, and he gave to his country as well as to his friends and family. And the third word that came to mind was life. He lived a good, full life. He died when he was over 80 years old, so he, he most likely had uh, time to do what he wanted to do with, with his life. And I shared just as those three words marked his life, love, giving, and life, God has done that for us. And I share John chapter 3, verse 16, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And I said that um, God has given us his son because he loves us to um, die on the cross for our sins so that we might overcome death through his resurrection. For any who would believe, they may have eternal life and not perish. And I pray that um, he had done that before he died and that anyone here would do that as well at the funeral. And so um, that's about all that I had time to share. After the funeral, I was talking with my friend's wife and she came up to me and she said, I'm a believer. And I was like, this is the first time I'd met her. And I said, that's amazing. How did you come to faith? You know, uh, my friend is not a believer and, and she didn't come from that background. She said, this is what happened. Uh, she was working out at the gym, working out at the gym. She had a personal trainer, and one day she got really mad at the personal trainer, and uh, she thought that he would just blow her off, but he was really kind to her, and that stuck with her. Um, and she went back and she said, you know, I was really mean to you. Why were you so nice to me? And it was at that point that the personal trainer shared his testimony of how Jesus had changed his life. And that made such an impact on my friend's wife that she went back and she said, you know, tell me about Jesus. Do you have something I can read? So he gave her some things to read, scriptures, a book. And she came to faith through that. She joined a church. She's been going to church for about a year. And it just reminded me that through this funeral, um, we need to proclaim the gospel when we have an opportunity to do that, either through a message or through our personal testimony. And your personal testimony really matters. It can open up the door to someone coming to faith later on. And sometimes our testimony is best done when um, wrong is done to us and how we react to that. But an unbelieving world is watching. And thirdly, uh, when my, we were, I was talking to his wife, my friend came up, started talking to us, and he, he actually said that when he noticed his wife was changing, he encouraged her to go to church, even though he doesn't believe. And it just reminded me, God can use even unbelievers to encourage un, other unbelievers um, into the faith. Now, maybe not through the message, but through their encouragement, at least in this case, to go to church. And uh, my friend, I didn't know this, but he has watched uh, at least one message from our church in the past. And so he said, um, I want to talk with you some more about your faith because I'm intrigued. Um, I've been thinking a lot about spirituality. And so I'm going to follow up with him in the following week. Uh, please pray for that. But this first case study is a reminder of we need to share the gospel. Our testimony matters, and God can work in unexpected ways. And so um, I, I thought it was just amazing how God was at work through that. Second case study. This deals with workplace evangelism versus a theology of the workplace. Uh, there's a man in our church named Ted. Many of you know him, obviously. And he um, works at 85 Degrees, and he uh, works in the factory, and uh, he often brings... Uh, some bakery items, 85 degrees is a bakery, to the church service, and we're all blessed by that. Well, Ted uh, called me a few months ago, and he led someone to faith, uh, an unbeliever to faith, in his workplace that he knows. And uh, I was so excited about that. Ted was excited. Ted is an evangelist. 
He has a huge heart for unbelievers as well as for missionary work in Japan. And so um, we're talking about it. We prayed for this young man that Ted knows in his work. Uh, our church sent this young man a study Bible uh, on Ted's behalf. And, um, you know, this just reminded me that God has placed you, like he's placed Ted, in a place uh, of work, a workplace. And he's placed you around certain relationships. And a part of the reason why you're there is not just because you have a job to provide for you or you and your family, but to reach people around you in some way because you have a long-standing relationship with them like Ted did. And I raise that because not only do we celebrate how God used Ted and this new life that his coworker has, but I raise it because in the past 10 years, the church has had a large conversation on what's called a theology of the workplace, theology of work. And it basically goes like this. Adam in the garden was given a dominion. He was given a stewardship by God to work, and work was good. And when you look in the New Testament, um, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter talk about how uh, your conduct at work is very important, how you submit to your boss, those above you, um, your conduct in, in working hard, not just when they're watching you, but uh, working hard unto the Lord. And when you're wronged, that um, we are to have good contact, uh, conduct, godly conduct, because that can have an impact on unbelievers around you. And so theology of the workplace largely talks about those, those issues of that we are to work, we are to work hard, we are to take pride in our work, we are to do excellent work, we are to be excellent employees, and that is very important. But we want to make sure that a theology of the workplace does not replace um, evangelism in the workplace, that you need both together. And we need to be reminded, not only are we to be good workers and take pride in our work and, and work well, but we are also to share our faith with those that we work around. Case study number three uh, reminds us that it's not just enough to talk about God, but we must talk about Jesus and spontaneous encounters that we have to share our faith. These are moments that, that um, unlike the situation with Ted, where he's in the workplace, we have a relationship with the person that he shared, sometimes... During diaspora, you'll just have these uh, momentary uh, encounters with people, spontaneous encounters where you only have a minute or a few minutes to talk. And Jay reminded us of that this week. As you guys know, he went through a surgery. Um, there was uh, something wrong with his kidney. And the doctor said, when we open you up, we don't know how much of it we're going to have to take out. We might have to remove one of your entire kidneys. Praise God for those of you that haven't heard. Uh, Jay's surgery was a success. He's at home healing right now, and they only have to take 20% of one of his kidneys out. And so um, thank you, church, for praying with Jay and for caring and loving him. I think many of you are bringing him meals right now. And, uh, but Jay mentioned something to me, and he said when he was in the hospital, um, he was trying to be a good witness to uh, the unbelievers around him, and he was sharing that, you know, God can take bad things and turn them into good things for those who love, um, who love him, Romans chapter 8. And then he realized that he needs to say more. He needs to give actually a direct testimony, not just to God's goodness, but to Jesus Christ and how Jesus has saved him and forgiven him and give him, him new life. And that was an important reminder that um, when we witness to others, it can't just be about talking about God in general, even though God is worthy of that, but we've got to talk about how we're saved in the way that God has uh, made um, a way for that Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And I was reminded of that as well. You know, I've, I've, I shared earlier on and back in March that before the coronavirus started, I went to this um, fish restaurant that I like to go to. 
Um, I love seafood. My dad was a, a fisherman, and so we used to eat fish several times a week. And I could, that's one of the only foods I could eat every single day is seafood. And I went to this one seafood restaurant to get some takeout. There's hardly anyone there. And when I went up to the front desk, there's a young man working behind it. And uh, I had a, a Christian sweatshirt on. I didn't realize I have it on. That morning, there was just a pile of clothes next to my bed. And uh, my wife had told me to fold it, and it's kind of just stayed there for a while. And so that's an area of growth, I guess you could say it in a nice way. I have a great wife. She's very patient. And so I just grabbed the thing that was on top of the pile of the laundry, put it on. And when I went to um, the restaurant, he, he looked at what was on my sweatshirt, and he said, are you a Christian? And I said, yes, I am. He goes, what do you think about this whole coronavirus thing? I'm scared. And I turned to him and I said the first thing that came to mind, which I think is really was given to me by the Lord, and I said, um, I think what it means is you need to ask yourself if you're right with God. And he immediately responded, you know you're right, I'm not. Um, can you pray for me and my family? And so I just right in that moment, with me on the other side of the register, I prayed for him. We only had about a minute or two for this exchange. And I just prayed and said, Lord, would you protect this man's family and himself from the sickness of the coronavirus. And I pray, Lord, and I, I think I quoted Romans chapter 10, verse 9, I pray that him and his family would come to believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead to save them from their sins and that they would declare him as Lord and Savior and so thus be saved. And I said, Amen. He said, Amen. I gave him a card to our church and invited him. Hopefully he'll show up. And so just a reminder, these are spontaneous encounters. You have to be ready, as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter uh, 3, to give a defense for your faith, to give an explanation for your faith um, from those who are questioning. Fourth case study is the importance of prayer during, uh, involved in evangelism. I've been going through a situation the past six months where I've been, uh, I made some decisions that I thought honored the Lord, that stood up for the truth of what God wanted, and I... I have received some persecution because of that. And uh, some of you that know the situation, you know the details of it. I won't go into it here. Um, but I've been challenged during this time because um, in two ways. Number one is Paul said in Philippians 3, he said, I long to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And then what? And the fellowship of his sufferings. And I love to know the power of Christ's resurrection in my life. That's good. But I don't often long to know the fellowship of his sufferings, like Paul said. And I've come to realize through this and other experiences I've had over the years of suffering that um, when you're suffered, suffering through persecution, um, no one wants that. That's not enjoyable. It's a trial. It's a testing of your faith. But at the same time, I think Lord uses that to sanctify you. And that's what he's teaching me because it's helping me to identify with the suffering of Christ. And it's helped me to appreciate what my Lord means to me and what he has done for me and who he is. And so that's been a sanctifying influence on one respect. And number two is I realize how important it is to pray for those who persecute you. Um, Jesus prayed for Jerusalem. He said, oh, Jerusalem, if only you had come to me, I would have embraced you, but you rejected uh, me. And he prayed on the cross. He said, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do as the people who were crucifying him. And I think that's very important. We need to pray that unbelievers, even unbelievers that are persecuting you, would come to faith. That's not an easy thing to do. Because our first thought is, I don't like this, I don't want this, um, I don't deserve this, I want this to come to an end, and those people are bad people. And uh, those, those thoughts are understandable. But at the same time, we need to, to pray for their salvation. And I think that's good for your heart 
and you never know what the Lord could do. And um, we were all enemies of God at one point, Romans chapter 5 says. But we who have reconciled um, have made reconciliation, Paul says, right? 2 Corinthians 5. So we need to pray. And that was a good reminder. Um, prayer is an important part of evangelism. And fifth, finally, uh, this is a story about the importance of baptism and encouragement for those who um, are coming to faith who are, or who have recently come to faith. And um, there's a couple in our church, in our church, and uh, they're friends of um, uh, Mike and Jennifer who brought them to our church last year. And this couple um, named they came to our church retreat, as you guys know, this past September. They made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ then. We all celebrated that. And uh, we just found out that they want to get baptized this summer. And we decided coronavirus or no coronavirus this summer, we're going to find a time where we go down to the beach, which is where we do our baptisms, and baptize them. And we're all going to celebrate that together in some way. And, um, but it's not her real name. That's her radio name. Uh, and she has a radio program in China where I think like a million people listen to it, some huge audience. And she's been doing this for the past 10 years. Well, she has come to faith. And Mike told me that she has been sharing her faith in Jesus Christ on the radio in China. But um, it just reminds me that her and her husband came to faith uh, right before the coronavirus. And they want to get baptized in the midst of the coronavirus. And this couple that has, are new believers, God is now using radio program in China to share the gospel with multitudes of people. And how amazing God can take something that's um, small and turn it into and multiply it. And you never want to estimate God. And so we have encouraged them to get baptized. Um, and we're um, really um, excited about that and uh, they were part of our new believers class and I think they grew through their faith before the coronavirus and so uh, we're going to celebrate that this this summer. Uh, final story on this fifth case study. Uh, I've shared before that uh, about 15 years ago uh, myself and some others from, from the church and Lorraine we started this thing called the Long Beach Book Club at a church I used to pastor in downtown Long Beach and uh, this is back when people used to actually read books uh, we started this book club and uh, it was an outreach of the church and we decided to look at a different book every month, um, just go to different coffee shops, art galleries throughout the city and have a discussion on it. We chose not to do Christian books because in a post-Christian city like Long Beach, if you choose a Christian book, no one's going to show up. And so um, we did secular books that people were reading, that book club wanted to read. And I think there was about 500 people that were part of the book club at one point. Maybe 100 people would cycle through it in, within one year. And so we would, uh, as a church, go to that and kind of give some Christian commentary on the ideas of the book that we were reading. And some people came to our church through that and are still with our church uh, through that book club. But one of the men who we met, a man named Mark, he was in his 50s at the time. It's like 15 years ago. And uh, very, very, had a very difficult life. Um, Post-traumatic stress disorder, long-term unemployment, very uh, lonely by his own admission. And we befriended him. We would take him back to his apartment after the book club. And he was part of our book club for about two years. And then he moved to the Pacific Northwest, um, maybe about 10 years ago. And I've kept in touch with him. Uh, we don't talk a lot, but maybe email or talk on the phone once every couple years or so. And so uh, I was talking with him about maybe 10 months ago on the phone. And uh, he just called me up and said, I've hit rock bottom, Chris. It's a long conversation, about two hours. And... Uh, 
He said, I haven't accomplished any of my goals in life. I don't know what to do. And I said, have you thought about Jesus? Because God sent Jesus so that you could know God's love. You could know his forgiveness. God can take your life and redeem it, Mark. He can offer you a hope and a future of eternal life. You can avoid God's judgment. And uh, Jesus can, his Holy Spirit can come to live inside of you. And you can find true truth and meaning and love and uh, a future in the Lord. And he said, I, I, I haven't thought about it, but I'm open. So uh, we spent the next hour, we, we looked at several passages in the Bible. I had him look up some scriptures from Ephesians chapter 2, 2 Corinthians 5, um, uh, John chapter 3, Romans chapter 10, all gospel-related passages. And we went through it, and I go, do you understand? He goes, yes. I go, well, what's stopping you from becoming a follower of Jesus Christ? I always ask that question because um, I want a person to think about what, what, what the barriers are. And if there's no barriers, really, then why not just move forward? And so I asked him, what's stopping you from becoming a follower of Jesus Christ? And he said, really nothing. And so I said, well, why don't we pray right now? Would you like to pray and yield your heart to Jesus Christ? And he was just silent for a while, and he, he just whispered yes. And so we prayed on the phone, and um, he committed his life to Christ. And, you know, it's not just about saying a prayer, but you want to see long-term if there's fruit from that decision. And so I immediately looked up a church in his neighborhood where he was living in that I thought would be a good one. I contacted the pastor of that church, one of the pastors, and they got back to me, and I connected Mark with um, some of the pastors, and he started meeting with them, and he started going to the church. And, well, I, I, I called him this past week just to see how he's doing, and he said he's still going to the church, praise God, and he said uh, even today, on this Sunday, uh, they have, like, uh, only 50 people in the congregation, but he got a reserve spot, so he's going to be at church today. And uh, I just encouraged Mark, and I said, hey, um, you know what? Find a ministry in that church. Because, you know what, your testimony is amazing. You know, I'm someone who grew up in the church, and my testimony is a certain way, but you did not grow up in the church, and you came to faith in your 60s, and you have a tremendous story to tell about God's redemption and his purpose. And you, your testimony can open up the doors to some people that maybe my testimony can, because it's very different. And he said, you know what, let me think about that. And I said, you know, God can take your past mistakes and time lost and redeem it, Mark. And you can be used for glorious things, for eternal things, if you, if you let God do that. And so I really encourage you to serve in the church, use your testimony. And um, I asked him to think about getting baptized. And he said, and thought about it. You know, baptism, it's like a wedding ring. Um, you're married, and whether I take this wedding ring off or not, I'm still married. It's just, but it's a symbol of my marriage to Lorraine. And that's what baptism is. It doesn't save you. But it's an act, it's a symbol that your faith is real. That you're willing to declare before the world, like Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew and Luke, that you're unashamed to be one of his followers. You're willing to declare that before your Father in heaven, before him, before the world around you. Um, and so I encouraged him to get baptized. And he said, okay, he's going to look into it. And I actually made him this promise. I said, if you choose to get baptized, I will drive up from Southern California to the Pacific Northwest, and I will be there. I will be there at your baptism. Uh, it means that much to me, and I think um, it would mean that much to the Lord. And so he said uh, he's going to try and look into that, and I, I tried to encourage him in that direction. A final encouragement from Mark is he actually also mentioned that one of his cats died of a heart attack recently. I'm, I'm a dog guy. I've had four dogs that have died on me over a period of 30 years, so I get it when your pet dies. Um, 
I've never really understood why people are more cat people than dog people. I've always felt that dogs kind of offer more, but, but I understand uh, there are different people um, that we all kind of come together in Christ. And so um, I, I listened to him and I commiserated with him. And he said, what I'd really like to do is buy two small kittens to replace my old cat. So I'm not going to be as lonely, but I don't have the money. And uh, he wasn't asking for anything. But this past week, Lorraine and I found a check on, on the dashboard of our car. It wasn't on the outside, it was on the inside. Apparently, I think I had opened up a check that was written to us for $700. And I put it on the dashboard on a certain day, like three months ago, and I forgot about it. So it's been sitting on the dashboard of our car for like three months. And we just found it the other day. And we're, oh, wow, let's deposit this. It's great. And when I heard Mark say that, I thought, you know what? This is what the Lord wants us to do is use some of that money for Mark. And I just said on the spot, Mark, um, Lorraine and I, we're going to send you some money so you can buy some cats, some kittens. And he was so thankful. And I said, don't thank me. This is the Lord's goodness in your life. And so um, encouragement. And I, I think we don't just lead people to the Lord, but we encourage them in their faith all the way um, through that. And so those are five case studies. Hopefully that was helpful to you. Um, I want to close by sharing with you a parable that I wrote um, before the coronavirus, but I think it really applies to the, the situation the church is in. It's called The Parable of the New Sheep Pen. And it describes how God has changed the circumstances for the church to move forward in evangelism. And it goes like this. One day, the sheep were enjoying the sunshine and green grass on a breezy afternoon. The Baha's were a sign to the shepherd that everyone in the flock was having a wonderful day together. This is what I have always wanted, said one sheep to another, a place where I can be with my own, free to roam in the afternoon with friends, but also safe enough at night in the sheep pen from the unknown of the woods. As sundown approached, the shepherd started to gather the sheep into the sheep pen. 45, 60, 70, 80, he counted. 95, 96, 97, 98, 99. The shepherd was shocked. One of the sheep was missing from the pen. Everyone, we have an emergency, said the shepherd, summoning the 99 with urgency. One sheep is missing. She's out there in the woods. Come daylight, we must go and find her. At daybreak, the shepherd gave a short training seminar on how to rescue sheep in the woods. He also recounted stories of how God had used him in the past to bring back lost sheep. He then reorganized the flock into the rescue teams and gave them a programmatic process to seek out the lost sheep, which he referred to by the acronym SHEEP, S-H-E-E-P, Saving Helpless Use by Evangelism and Protection. Everyone was excited about how God would use them. The next morning, the, she the shepherd released the sheep to find the lost ewe. The shepherd was hopeful that the training, modeling, and inspirational stories, as well as their programmatic process of sheep, uh, would have the lost sheep back by the mid-noon hour. The next um, but when the sheep got to the edge of the woods, only a few went forward, but most hesitated. In fact, the vast majority of the flock went back to the comfort of the pen. We need more training and prayer first, said one sheep. I realize that my role is to support the others who are the sent ones, said another Another felt posting a picture on social media of the group walking towards the woods was enough. Still, another said, I know I should go into the woods, but I just can't right now because of all the other things going on. Do you have any idea how long it takes for me to clean the wool of my family? The shepherd loved the 99 sheep, but he also loved the one lost sheep. What was he to do? 
He wanted the other 99 to have a good pen life together. But when the one you went missing, he knew he, they had to find her. The shepherd believed they had been he, he had been faithful. He trained, inspired, encouraged them, even equipped them through sheep to accomplish their mission. That night, as the sheep lay sleeping, something finally dawned on the shepherd. The pen was the very thing that was holding them back. He had equipped them and encouraged them to be sent out, but the sheep were not strong enough to leave the pen to go into the scary wood. Given their new mission, he realized he had to redefine what a new moving pen should look like, or they would never leave the old one to accomplish their mission to rescue the lost you. The next morning, when the sheep awoke, they sprung to their hooves. The fence around the pen had vanished. Meh, said one. Bah, bad, said another. When they looked up, they saw the shepherd standing between them and the woods where the lost sheep was believed to be. Beloved, said the shepherd, I am here to feed you and to shepherd you and to protect you. Our entire flock will now be a moving pen in the woods rather than me trying to motivate you to leave the old pen to go into the woods. You are free to stay here where, where the old pen used to be or to wander elsewhere. But if you want me to be your shepherd, then we are now going to rescue that lost you together. Our new moving sheep pen in the woods will be closer to God's definition of what sheep, a sheep pen should look like. There's now no more old sheep pen for us to hide in anymore. And with that, the shepherd took a step towards the woods. And in closing, I share that story because we are in this kind of environment with the coronavirus. God has redefined the conditions of the pen. The old pen that we were in that was so comfortable before is not so comfortable anymore. In fact, he's torn down those walls. And I believe that God wants our church and all of his churches to be a moving sheep pen. I think that's closer to what you see in the diaspora church in the Bible. And in the 21st century, we are to be a moving sheep pen and to go into the scary woods to rescue those who are lost. A moving sheep pen is a hard target for the enemy to hit. And it strengthens the sheep. They come together. We see the threats and we move together and God will use his church to ultimately find those who are lost in the woods. You were once lost. Somebody shared their faith with you. Somebody shared the faith with you. What would have happened to you if those Christians that led you to faith had stayed in their sheep pen and not gone after you because you were caught and trapped in the scary woods? This is who the church needs to be in this time of diaspora. And I believe that if the church steps forward and moves together to reach people for Christ, to make disciples of Christ, to literally snatch them from the fire, to save souls from death, to declare that God is patient and long-suffering, not wishing anyone should perish, in the words of the Apostle James and Peter and Jude, that we will see people's eternal destinies changed. And um, that is the greatest mission in the world, is to reach people for Christ so that they may glorify God. And let's be part of that church. Let's be this moving sheep pen. Let's be the church of the diaspora to reach those who are lost. And God will bless that. So let's step into that.